Part Three, Chapter Eight of Canada's Hundred Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James O'Connor. Canada's Hundred Days by John Livesay. Part Three, Chapter Eight. Operations, September Thirty to October 2. The operation of September 30 was planned in two phases, says Sir Arthur Currie. In the first, the 3rd and 4th Canadian Divisions were to push forward across the high ground between the Scheldt Canal and the blecourt bantinay ribine when Brutinel's brigade was to pass through them and secure bridgeheads at Ramillies and Essoirs. The second phase, to take place on the success of the first, provided for the seizing of the high ground overlooking the Sensee River by the 1st Canadian Division and the 11th British Division. The attack commenced well, and the villages of Tilloy and Blecourt were captured by the 3rd and 4th Canadian Divisions, respectively. A heavy counterattack, however, against the 4th Canadian Division and the left flank of the 3rd Canadian Division, assisted by exceptionally severe enfilade fire from the high ground to the north of the blecourt bantinay ravine forced the line on the left bank to the eastern outskirts of Sancourt. The second phase of the attack was not carried out, and the net gains for the day were the capture of Tilloy and some progress made on the right of the 3rd Canadian Division from Neuville saint remy south. Prisoners taken during the day testified to the extreme importance, in the eyes of the enemy, of the positions held by him and the necessity that they be held at all costs. Zero hour was set for 6 a.m. before dawn. It was designed to lay down a rolling barrage on the narrow front selected for the initial attack and to protect the flanks by smoke barrages to blot out enemy observation in the ravines and on the high ground to the north. For this purpose there was a considerable concentration of our artillery. All our field batteries had suffered severely in the fighting of the previous days, as the guns had to be pushed up in the open, taking advantage indeed of what natural cover offered, but without prepared emplacements. Casualties were proportionately severe. Thus, on one day, the 12th Battery, Canadian Field Artillery, lost one officer, Captain Ross, and four other ranks killed, and 18 wounded, and the 11th Battery, in an exposed position on the Cambrai Road, suffered a direct hit and had 27 casualties in one day. The gallant work of our gunners under these trying conditions is well illustrated by the following extracts from the diary of the 13th Battery, CFA. Quote, September 27, Burlon Wood Show. Took position just after dawn between Inchy and Canal du Nord, i.e., that is, across no man's land, and from there took part in second phase of attack. This was only possible by the smoke barrage which screened enemy observation from Burlon Wood, which had not at that time been taken. Moved position same evening to just north of Quarry Wood. 
Gunner McCallum wounded at guns, later killed on way to dressing station. Corporal R. Cameron, Corporal J. Mitchin, Bombardier King, and Gunner A. Patterson wounded at guns. September 28th. Moved guns to north side of Arras Cambrai Road by a farmhouse one and a quarter miles west of Raylancourt. Gunner Painter, wounded at guns, later died of wounds. Same night, bomb lit in wagon lines one and a half miles west of guns, killing 28 horses and wounded drivers Dawson, Melville, Blackmore, Monroe, Baird, Clark, Nelson, Hogg, and Corporal Riddell. Dawson died of wounds. Signalers Murray and Clark wounded on officers' patrol. Clark died of wounds. September 29. Another show. Severe fighting. Little progress. Shell and wagon lines killed driver Gagney and wounded driver W. Lawson, also killing eight horses. Moved up one section in afternoon under Lieutenant Stubbs and Simons. At 11 p.m. received orders to move up remainder of battery to forward section position on Sunken Road, just south of Hainacourt, for show before dawn next day. September 30. Show. Zero hour. 4.30 a.m. Enemy had planned his decisive counterattack with eight divisions on our two-division front, to commence this morning at 5 a.m. Counter-battery fire very intense. Two guns out of action by shell fire. Gunner R. Leach killed at guns. Sergeants H. Murray and Foster and Gunner W. Herschel wounded at guns. Terrific fighting by infantry. Attacks, counter-attacks, etc. Terrific casualties, especially in infantry. Moved guns back in afternoon to former position. Gunner Spearin wounded during night by stray shell at guns. October 1st, another show. Progress slight on account of reduced strength of units. Advanced battery 1,000 yards to next little dip in front. This battery was recruited in 1914 from Hamilton and Branford, Ontario, and it is interesting to note that 34 originals were still on strength at the armistice. While the democratic character of the Canadian Army is shown by the fact that 22 of its NCOs obtained commissions. The attack went well at first, but with dawn came a heavy gale from the west, which resulted in the failure of our smoke barrage, and our men who had pushed out along the ridges became exposed to a tremendous concentration of enemy fire, presently supported by massed counterattacks. They have a machine gun to every ten yards of front, said a brigade staff officer. There has been nothing like it in this war. From the ravines they pick off our men on the ridges like crows. Over 90% of our casualties are from machine gun bullets. End quote. The task assigned the 3rd Canadian Division was to capture Tilloy and Morinchis, and then push on to Ramillies in close conjunction the 4th Canadian Division was also to push out due east with Eswaz as the final objective. The attack on our right prospered from the start. Troops of the 7th Brigade, including the PPLPs on the right and Royal Canadian Regiment on the left, 
capturing in succession Tilloy and Morinchies, with elements even pushing on to the outskirts of Ramillies. Our position along the Shell Canal was thus consolidated, and a wedge driven in between the garrison of Cambrai and the German forces massed about the northern plateau. Unfortunately, the same good fortune did not attend our left. The attack was undertaken by the 11th Brigade, to which the 85th Battalion had been detached from the 12th Brigade in support. The 102nd Battalion, British Columbia, was also held in reserve, but was under very heavy fire throughout the day and came into action at a later stage. The attack was carried out by the 87th Battalion, the Grenadier Guards of Montreal, on the right, the 75th Battalion, Central and Western Ontario, in the center, and the 54th Battalion, British Columbia, on the left. A good advance was made along the plateau under cover of darkness, but with dawn and the failure of our smoke barrage as related above, the attacking force was subjected to a tremendous enfilade machine-gun fire from Blecourt and Abancourt. The men in little knots began digging themselves in on the bare upland, and there withstood wave after wave of enemy infantry, advancing with the utmost courage to the attack. Although great holes were torn in their ranks by our artillery and machine-guns, the position on our left was untenable, and our men fell back, fighting every step to the line of the railway. This in turn brought to a halt troops on our right, and finally led to their partial retirement. But although at one stage Tilloy was lost, we recaptured it before the end of the day. Tilloy will go down in the history of the PPLI, Princess Patricia's Light Infantry, as one of its most famous fights. After every senior officer had fallen, Captain James Nesbitt Edgar assumed command of the battalion. At a critical hour, when three companies on the left were badly disorganized under tremendous machine-gun fire, and had even begun to withdraw from the position won, he went forward and rallied the men, leading them on to their objective. By his cheerfulness, energy, and disregard for danger, he so inspired all ranks that they willingly followed him through the most intensive shell and machine-gun fire. And it was due to his unflagging work that enemy counter-attacks were beaten off, and Tilloy remained in our hands at the end of the hard-fought day. The character of the fighting, described by those who took part in it as the stiffest Canadian troops had ever faced, can best be gathered by following the fortunes of one of the battalions engaged, this being the 75th. This unit, as we have seen, had lost heavily in the successful attack on Burlon Wood. On the morning of September 29, it moved up from Burlon to the Lilas Farm on the Arras-Cambray Road, 1,500 yards west of Raylancourt, and about as much southwest of Hainacourt, bivouacking there for the night. Guides reported at 2.30 a.m. for the attack on the Douai-Cambray Railway, the first objective. On the way into the jumping-off line, two company officers were killed at head of their companies, and only four officers per company were left. In the darkness there was some confusion, but three minutes before zero every company was in its appointed place, five hundred yards in advance of our outposts, holding the line, and just west of the railway itself. Our barrage opened twenty yards short of the railway, 
and then settled for ten minutes on the line of the embankment, following which our men went over. Three minutes later the enemy, who had massed a number of divisions for an attack in force, laid down an intensive barrage of 5.9-inch guns and yellow cross gas on the very area our men had just left, but causing not a single casualty. It was a much heavier barrage than our own, but ours was magnificently, uncannily even, accurate, destroying entirely the enemy's line of defense along the steep railway embankment. The second-in-command, Captain Duncan, a company commander, was killed almost at once as the battalion swept forward. A hail of machine-gun fire came from the exposed left flank all along the Batinay Ravine, and although a screen of defensive posts was thrown out against Blecourt, no troops could long stand up against such punishment. The battalion fell back to the railway and clung there all day. Towards evening, Colonel Thompson was ordered to withdraw his men to the Marquion line, 2,000 yards back, but only 50 men were left unwounded, and every officer but himself had become a casualty. Nevertheless, what remained of this battalion went into action again on the following day. The 54th and 102nd battalions took over the posts established. In Blecourt, besides numerous machine guns, were four heavy guns, and a special battalion of Württemberger marksmen, stout fellows who made great play with their machine guns. The attack had failed, but nevertheless the line of railway had been attained and held, and the enemy's evident intention of driving us back into Burlon Wood had been frustrated by our bold offensive. But it was clear that the battle was far from won. We must either abandon what had been gained with so much heroism and at such great cost, thus crippling the general advance, or face the alternative of pursuing the battle with weakened forces until we had gained a decision and established ourselves upon the plateau. The issue is plainly set forth by Sir Arthur Curry, who then proceeds to trace the fortunes of the crucial battle of October 1 in the following terms. Quote, the tremendous exertions and considerable casualties consequent upon the four days almost continuous fighting had made heavy inroads on the freshness and efficiency of all arms, and it was questionable whether an immediate decision could be forced in the face of the heavy concentration of troops which our successful and, from the enemy's standpoint, dangerous advance had drawn against us. On the other hand, it was known that the enemy had suffered severely and it was quite possible that matters had reached a stage where he no longer considered the retention of this position worth the severe losses, both in men and morale, consequent upon a continuance of the defense. It was therefore decided that the assault would be continued on October 1, the four divisions in line attacking simultaneously under a heavy barrage, coordinated by the GOC RA, during the night, the 22nd Corps took over a portion of the front held by the 11th Division, the 56th Division becoming responsible for the defense of the relieved front at 6 a.m. October 1. The attack made excellent progress in the early stages, and the troops reached the general line Scheldt Canal, east of Neuville-Saint-Rémy, Orinchies Wood, Cuvilliers, Antinay, all inclusive. 
the decision of the enemy to resist to the last quickly manifested itself. About 10 a.m., heavy counterattacks developed up the Batinay Ravine from the direction of Raillencourt. These, supplemented by enfilade fire from the high ground just south of Abancourt, which still remained in the enemy's hands, due to a certain extent to the inability of the 11th Division on the left to make progress, were sufficient to press back our advanced troops. Pockets of the enemy in Blackhaw and Batinay continued to give trouble, and our line was ultimately forced by greatly superior numbers out of Cuvillers, Batinay, and Blackhaw. To continue to throw tired troops against such opposition, without giving them an opportunity to refit and recuperate, was obviously inviting a serious failure, and I accordingly decided to break off the engagement. The five days' fighting had yielded practical gains of a very valuable nature, as well as 7,059 prisoners and 205 guns. We had gone through the last organized system of defenses on our front, and our advance constituted a direct threat on the rear of the troops immediately to the north of our left flank, and their withdrawal had now begun. Although the ground gained on October 1 was not extensive, the effects of the battle and of the previous four days' fighting were far-reaching and made possible the subsequent advances of October and November, in so far as the divisions engaged against the Canadian Corps drew heavily on the enemy's reserves, which had now been greatly reduced. It is worthy of note that the enemy employed six divisions to reinforce the four divisions already in the line making a total of ten divisions engaged since September 27 by the Canadian Corps. In addition to their ten divisional artilleries and large number of heavy guns, these German divisions had been reinforced by thirteen marksman machine-gun companies. In the same period, only three additional divisions and one regiment were employed by the Germans to reinforce the front from Honecourt to Cambrai a front of approximately 18,000 yards in length. This comparison of employment of reserves showed clearly that the enemy was greatly perturbed by the success of our advance and the serious threat it offered especially to his northern defenses. Throughout this phase, very heavy calls had been made on the Corps artillery, Major General E.W.B. Morrison and the Canadian engineers. With the exception of the advances of the 1st Canadian and 11th British Divisions in the second stage of the attack of September 27, all operations carried out during the five days took place under cover of artillery barrages. The amount of ammunition fired was exceptionally large, and it was only by the most strenuous efforts on the part of all ranks of the artillery that the supply could be made to keep pace with the expenditure. The success in this respect was to a large extent due to the exertion and skill displayed by the Canadian engineers, Major General W. B. Lindsay, in every branch of their activities, notably in bridge building and repair of roads. The night of September 30, October 1, was bitter cold with torrential rains, and for the most part the troops detailed for the attack next morning had to tough it out in the open. Zero hour was set for 5 a.m., while it was still dark, and it was hoped that by a broad attack covering the entire Corps front between the Scheldt and the Sensee, 
the disastrous enfilade fire which had stopped and thrown back our attack on a relatively narrow front of the previous day would be blanketed this plan postulated success all along the line and the development of a weak spot anywhere must seriously compromise success elsewhere the attack at first succeeded admirably on the right elements of the third division pushed on through morinchies seized the bridgehead at pont d'air and established posts in ramillies the attack was entrusted to the ninth brigade with the forty third battalion winnipeg on the right and the fifty second battalion fort william and fort arthur on the left advancing under heavy machine gun fire on the crest of the hill down the slope towards ramillies the fifty eighth battalion western ontario and the one hundred and sixteenth battalion central ontario came up in support all four battalions being very heavily engaged the one hundred and sixteenth pushed on into ramillies the attacking force rushing the bridgehead in face of the point-blank fire of a whiz-bang battery major carmichael who had succeeded to the command of the battalion after lieutenant colonel g r perks had been wounded and who himself had been wounded in the army in show led his men throughout and even after he had been seriously wounded refused to be evacuated staying with his command for two hours until he was no longer able to direct his men on the left of our third division the fourth canadian division also drove home its attack the eleventh brigade advancing across the plateau and storming Fouvelier. but as has been related by the corps commander a weakness developed on the extreme left and in turn the first canadian division fell back forcing the withdrawal of the fourth division which found itself with its left flank in the air the one hundred and second battalion british columbia which had led the attack with great gallantry was for a time in perilous danger of being isolated and cut off and it was only the utmost heroism of its men supported by flanking outposts promptly thrown out against blackcourt and batinay by brigadier general odium that saved it from disaster in a day of wonderful deeds particularly striking was the leadership of lieutenant fram thompson lyell one hundred and second battalion a native of lancashire who had enlisted at st catharine's ontario finding himself in command of the company on the right flank now only fifty strong by skilful dispositions he captured a strong enemy position east of blackcourt and with it seventeen machine guns and eighty prisoners this he fortified and clung steadfastly to it until relieved thus preventing the turning of our flank this officer had had a wonderful record throughout this battle after leading his platoon against burlon wood he rendered invaluable support to the leading company capturing a strong point which held it up by a flank movement taking one field gun four machine guns and thirteen prisoners the rest of the garrison being killed later his platoon much weakened by casualties was held up by machine guns at the southern end of burlon wood collecting every man available he led them toward the strong point springing forward alone he rushed the position killing the officer in charge when the garrison surrendered with five machine guns having made good his objective capturing forty-seven more prisoners he consolidated his position and thus protected the remainder of the company during this battle lieutenant leal captured in all three officers 
and 182 other ranks, one field gun, and 26 machine guns, exclusive of heavy casualties inflicted. End of Part 3, Chapter 8 Recording by James O'Connor, Randolph, Massachusetts, May 2010